Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to read James 5, verses uh, 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and of patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You can be seated. Thank you, Rich. Before we pray, I, uh, I try not to pick on visitors normally, but I, I'm going to pick on one today. We have uh, Darren, Mr. Darren Thames visiting with us today. And uh, some of our, our women went and served with his group. Uh, he is the new director of DSS in Lawrence County. And so when many of y'all donated clothes and then the group went down to organize that, uh, they were working with, with Mr. Darren. And so we're preaching in James. A few weeks ago, we were in James 1.27, religion that the Lord our God accepts in pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so, Mr. Darren, thank you for what you're doing uh, for the sake of the least of these here in our, in our home state. So thanks for being here today. Let's pray together. Father, it's a blessing uh, to be able to uh, come before your word now. And God, may we be humble before it. May you pierce our hearts uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit and conform us to your image, the image of your Son. Lord, I thank you uh, for the power your word has. God, we never come to your word and um, find it empty or meaningless. God, your word has such tremendous power, and I pray, God, that your spirit would apply it to our lives even now. In Christ's name I pray, amen. As Rich was reading that, I wonder if any of you immediately, as we, you heard the word patience, immediately you thought, oh, <clears throat> that's not me. Anybody? Anybody right out of the gate be willing to admit we are not patient people? I know I am not a patient person, and I, I, I beg to, I imagine I could say we're, I'm probably not alone in this room. We live in an on-demand type culture, an on-demand society, and so anytime we have to wait for something, we get fidgety, don't we? At best, fidgety. Yes. At worst, extremely frustrated and irritated, right? Uh, take a, a doctor's appointment, for example. You have an appointment at a set time sometimes a very specific time, like 8.55. And so you're there and you're sitting and you're waiting in the doctor's office and your, your time comes and you're still waiting and the nurse has not come and now it's 8.57, now it's 9 o'clock, now it's 9.05 and you're getting fidgety and frustrated because you're having to wait. Or take traffic, of course. Traffic drives us crazy at certain times of the day. There are just too many stinking cars on the road. And if you grew up in Fountain End, you were used to, you know, 30 years ago, there was nobody here. You could drive wherever you wanted. But now there's all these people. And so you get frustrated. We get impatient at uh, amusement parks. We're there to have fun, after all. And yet we wait in line hour after hour to go on a 30-second ride. Uh, some of these amusement parks have figured out a, a solution. They have a fast pass system, and that's great when you have the fast pass, and you can wave at that line on your way by. But when you're not in the fast pass line, those people just make you all the more irritated that you're having to wait 
all this time for that 30-second ride. Uh, any type of line drives me crazy. Uh, fast food, coffee, ice cream, anytime I have to stop and wait, uh, I am doing my absolute best to never visit the DMV again. If I can make it to, through the rest of my life, that's probably not possible, but I'm going to certainly try. I don't do well with phone calls. Uh, it's a customer service type people where you have to push one for English and six for this department and 14 for that department. You're like, I don't even have a 14 and how do I do this? And I just end up pushing zero over and over again just trying to talk to somebody and they just keep telling me there's an error and I just hang up and try to Google it and figure out another way to do it. We are impatient people. I get impatient waiting for water to boil. Uh, I get impatient if I've texted somebody. Do, do you do this? You text somebody, you know they've seen it. They've seen your message. I'm confident they've seen it and yet they don't reply and you wait and wait and wait. I'm actually the world's worst at that, so I apologize for all the people that I have not texted back uh, because I'm not very good at that either. Impatience is not a new trait to humanity, as we'll see, the Bible's pretty old, but I think our, our world, because of our technological advances and on-demand society and 24-hour news and be able to see things on the other side of the world, we have kind of sped up our impatience. Our generation, our world today, we are growing in impatience, waiting, waiting for food, waiting for people, waiting on any kind of thing. It's hard to wait. And that impatience perhaps is at its ugliest when we're waiting on God. We many times are waiting for God to show up in our lives and we get impatient as we wait on the Lord. We're waiting on God to answer our prayers. We're waiting on God to bring healing. We're waiting on God to bring justice. We're waiting on God to bring salvation. We're waiting for God to move in a way that only He can. We're waiting for Him to show us His will for our lives. We'll go, God, as soon as you tell me which way to go. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're growing impatience. impatient. Impatience may be natural, but it is miserable, isn't it? We don't actually enjoy being impatient. It's not fun. It's not something we desire. We long to be patient. It looks good. When you see patience in somebody else, we admire it. And yet, in our own hearts, it can be so hard to actually be that, to be patient. Impatience dishonors the Lord, as we'll see. And as James uh, continues to, to push in on some of the most challenging parts of our lives, he comes today to patience. James has been pushing all the way through this powerful letter that if we genuinely have faith, if our faith is true, if we have true faith in the Lord, it will show up in the way we live. We've called this, this series Working Faith because the way that James, and really the whole Bible, but James makes it clear, the way that James describes faith is it faith that goes to work, faith that takes action, faith that shows up in the way we live our lives. And somewhat counterintuitively, some of the, one of the most powerful ways your faith can show up and go to work is if you're willing to wait. You will have, it will be a tremendous display of faith if you can have a whole bunch of faith and wait. And wait. That's really, really hard. This, this few verses here in James is very clear what it's about. James uses the word wait once. He uses the word steadfast twice. And he uses the word patient or patience three times. So it's one of these cases where what he says is clear. He's talking about waiting steadfastly. Be patient. The clarity is not the problem. It's the application, isn't it? <laughs> It's actually putting it into practice. We understand what you're saying, James, but actually being able to obey it is harder. If we're following through James, we know he's writing to a group of people who, who are having a hard time. 
The passage right before this was about a, a group of rich people who was oppressing poor. So he's probably talking about the people he's writing to are probably the poor people who are being oppressed by un, an unjust rulers of the, the way that the land system was, was set up. But beyond that oppression, just anywhere the gospel went in the first century, they faced tremendous persecution from Jews on one side, the Romans on the other side. So James is not writing about patience just in the fact that you're having to wait in your Starbucks order because there's too many people in line. That's not the kind of, I mean, that applies, but it's a much deeper sense of patience. He's talking about patience when things aren't going well, when things are very hard. So here's my, here's my call to us today. Practice steadfast patience, especially in suffering. Practice steadfast patience, especially in suffering. James 5.7 begins, Be patient, therefore, brothers. It's one of James' favorite ways of addressing his fellow Christians, brothers and sisters. This is family. He's saying, hey, family. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Let me tell you this. Be patient. Again in verse 8. You also be patient. Be willing to wait. Don't get anxious. Don't be stressed. Wait. Be willing to wait. Now, some degree, to some degree, I, every time I come to the Bible and preach it to you, uh, I am preaching as an outsider, looking at the holiness of God's Word, knowing that I never measure up. There's always a certain distance between my life and God's Word. But there are sometimes there's a lot of distance. There's extra distance between what I'm preaching to you and what I, the way I live my life. And patience is one of those areas. I preach as an outsider, looking in on what patience looks like. And I, I confirmed this with my wife earlier this week. I said, you know, this is going to be a hard one because I'm not naturally a patient person. And Amber, in her very gracious attitude, she said something like, you know, you can be patient sometimes. <laughs> like with the kids, sometimes, you know. It was her kind way of like noticing occasionally, but generally she affirmed, I'm not, I'm not a patient person by nature. I get frustrated when I have to wait. I get frustrated when things are not going as fast as I want them to go. And I get antsy and it, it isn't good. But this is just all the more reason why I'm committed to what we call sequential expositional preaching. And that is my job is to expose, show you the Word of God, and I preach this passage and then next week I preach the next passage and just keep going through the Bible that way. Because I don't jump around to my strengths. First of all, there'd be a very short number of sermons to preach. But second of all, we, we, we proclaim that this is all God's Word. It's all good, not just the things that I have figured out. So for me, weak, patience is a weakness. For you, which, which is it? Would somebody say, hey, when I look at your character and the way you live your life, you are a patient person or are you an impatient person? Is this a strength for you or a weakness? I imagine of all the parts of the fruits of the Spirit, they're all, they're all challenging in their own way, but patience might be one of the hardest. The fruit of the Spirit is this love, joy, peace, patience. Patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What, what is patience? Patience is being able to remain calm while waiting. Being able to tolerate delay or trouble without getting angry. So for you, how well do you tolerate delay? When something changes, when things are, an obstacle comes in your path and things have to slow you down, how well do you tolerate that? For me, when I, I see a problem, I just want to fix it. I don't want to wait. I just want it to go away. I want to fix it. Maybe that's kind of a guy thing. Many of us have had some woman in our life tell us, well, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen, right? <laughs> just want you to listen. 
We want to fix things. We want to rush ahead. We want to, we want to do things. When God doesn't do things on our timetable, we just get anxious. We get stressed. We rush ahead. When God works on His time, which isn't always the same as ours, can we be calm? Can we be patient? Can we wait? Or do we freak out and get impatience, impatient? Other parts of this passage flesh out, flesh out what this looks like because waiting sometimes means doing nothing and sometimes it means doing a lot. So we get to verse 8 and we read, Establish your hearts. Other translations say things like, Stand firm or take courage. The word here used means to, to support, to make firm, to, to strengthen your heart. So the picture here of patience is not always just doing nothing. Sometimes it, it is a very active form of patience as we wait. The picture is that you're facing a challenge in your hardship and, and, and to, to establish your heart or strengthen your heart means, are, is that hardship making you stronger or weaker? Is this thing something you're getting better at or is it tearing you down? Now, I, I don't do any heavy weightlifting anymore. That just hurts. and I don't like that. But I, I know people who do. And uh, so imagine just, just everyday life is like, is like doing lightweight squats with a, a bar on your back. You know, just, just lightweight squats. The hardships are people coming along and, and adding some extra weight to that bar. And now it's a little heavier, right? So the question is, in life, when that happens, when the extra weight gets added on, do you stay with it or do you quit? Do you rack the bar and just walk away? Or does your heart get strengthened? Do you bear up underneath it? Are, are you more likely to take it on with courage or you just walk away from it? When life gets harder, do you bear up or do you quit? Do you walk away? Verse 11, we read, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Blessed in the Bible is not just you know, some kind of material thing. Blessed is the true joy of walking in the favor of God. Somebody who's truly blessed, somebody who's truly walking in God's favor are the people who remain steadfast. Steadfast is not just not doing something. Steadfast, steadfast patience is being able to hold your ground, being able to stick with it and stay with it even when you're under attack. Some of us are reading a, a commentary on, on James together by Sam Albury, and we got a real kick out of his illustration for this. I thought it was so good. I'll probably never forget this one. He says that steadfastness in the Bible is a little bit like sumo wrestling. Stick with me on this. Do you know how sumo... I didn't know this. I had to, look, had to take his word and I Googled sumo wrestling. Do you know how you get a point in, in sumo wrestling? Is if you stay on your feet and inside the circle. You win if you stay on your feet and inside the circle and the other guy falls down or falls out of the circle. So the way that you remain... You, you win is to stay on your feet and stay there. Or maybe a little closer to home, uh, a little more you know, realistic for our lives. <clears throat> but maybe you remember as a child playing king of the mountain or king of the hill, right? And so whether it was on top of some jungle gym equipment at the playground or a rock or a literal hill somewhere, the, the goal is to be the guy on top, to be the guy or girl on top, and all the kids or other kids are trying to push you off of this, and whoever's you know, on top, they are the king of the hill. So you got dozens of people attacking you from every side trying to knock you down. So in, in essence, you're, you're, only, you're just holding your ground. You're not going anywhere, but it's taking work. It's taking active effort to hold your ground, to fend off the attacking children or the hundreds of pound guy in sumo wrestling, right? That's a picture of biblical steadfastness. 
as, as hardships, obstacles, pains, struggles are attacking you from every side, can you stay on your feet and hold your ground? That's steadfastness. That's being willing to stick it out, to not quit, not give up, even when things are hard. As a Christian, when things are going well, when things are like they should, are you, are you in the Word three, five, seven days a week? Are you praying consistently? Are you gathering together with God's people? Those are all awesome things. Now take a hardship and throw it at you. Somebody gets diagnosed with cancer. The finances are tight. Something bad goes wrong at work. Job changes happen. That's somebody coming at you. Are you standing firm on your spot? Or does that thing knock you off your place? Many times as we, the, the, the obstacle comes and we pray and God doesn't answer like we think He should, God's inaction, Him not doing what we think He, he should do, feels like one more thing being launched at us trying to knock us off our place. When troubles come, do you stay in God's Word or do you leave it? When troubles come, when obstacles happen in your life, hardships happen, are you still consistent in prayer? Are you still gathering together with God's people when things are hard, even so much so that you're inviting other people into those struggles with you? Or do you run? Do you flee? Do those things knock you off course and get you off where you should be? More often than not, more often than we'd like to admit at least, we get knocked off by the things that are hard around us. And James is inviting us back, inviting us back to a place of steadfastness, to remaining firm, to remaining with God, to remaining in fellowship with Him. Practice steadfast patience, especially in suffering. We've seen this already through James back in chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Or chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We, we really don't know how steadfast we are until the hardships come, right? It's one thing to stand on top of the mountain when there's no kids knocking you off. That's easy. But how strong are you? And the only way we know it many times is when we go through the test. And the test itself actually makes us stronger. Our faith is stronger for having gone through the trials and stood firm or failing and being willing to get back up and get back on the mountain. God builds up our faith. The, one of the primary things He uses to strengthen your faith and grow you in the Lord. It seems backwards so many times to Christians, but one of the main things He uses is the hardships, is the struggles, is the obstacles we face. For many Christians, that feels like a very hard concept to grasp. Why would a good and loving, all-powerful God bring me through this trial? If He has the power to stop it, why doesn't He stop it? Of course, we're, we're, we are never entitled to know the mind of God. He could be doing any number of things. But one of the most common things He's doing is that He's conforming us to the image of His Son. He is changing us. He is transforming us. He's molding us. And he's using suffering, he's using hardships to do that in our lives. Sometimes God doesn't stop the trial because he loves you too much to stop it. He loves you too much to take away the chance for you to grow in your faith. He, he knows how he wants to use you in the future. 
He knows what He wants your testimony to be for other people. And if He stops the trial or doesn't bring you through it, then you'll never have that opportunity. You won't be the vessel down the road that He wanted you to be. Sometimes God doesn't stop the trial because He loves you too much to stop it. He wants, you to, bring, he wants to bring you through it and change you and transform you and use you because of what you've been through. One season pastor calls a discipleship long obedience in the same direction. I love that. Long obedience in the same direction. If you're, if you're sticking with the Lord, if you're following the Lord for any length of time, much less decades, lifetime, you're going to face some hardships. The, the missiles are coming. They're going to try to knock you down. And so if we're going to remain steadfast, it's going to be through trials. It's going to be by overcoming obstacles. Our patience will be tested. Does your faith stand up to the trial? Has it? Will it in the future? If you've been around Infinity for very long or any other uh, healthy church, you've probably heard a, a good healthy warning against a prosperity gospel. right? And we, we recognize kind of the, the, the most popular form of a, a prosperity gospel, maybe on TV or elsewhere, with, with somebody promising that if you'll just donate this amount of money to their ministry, then God's going to multiply that in your bank account and going to just make it flourish and grow and all these kind of things. And most of us have been around the block long enough to recognize that's not true, right? Like that's, we'll see right through that. that. That's not how it works. But the truth is the prosperity gospel can be a lot more subtle than that. It can be less, less obvious than that. I think there's many times we're tempted to believe a less extreme version where we functionally believe God just, He wants me to be happy and healthy and materially blessed, doesn't He? So anytime those things aren't happening, there must be something wrong. There must be something wrong. If that's our view of God, there's a lot of the Bible that's going to be very confusing to you. Like when Jesus says, take up your cross, which is a form of execution and, and, and torture, take up a cross and follow me. That doesn't fit very well with a God who just wants your health and wealth and material prosperity. And for you to be, just be happy all the time. Nobody was happy on a cross. Or would take Paul, one of the, the, the chief men God used in the New Testament to spread the gospel. And take his testimony of shipwrecks and beatings and tortures. How, how does Paul's life align with a gospel that says God just wants you to be happy and healthy and blessed? It, do, it doesn't match up. It doesn't match up. The truth is we often believe an American gospel of all prosperity and all, all good things and no hardships. And instead of coming to the Bible and letting the Bible describe to us what the gospel is. The gospel is that God saved His people through a suffering son. His meth method, the method for salvation was death on a cross. And He calls His disciples to follow Him. To follow Him. And the, one of the primary ways God sanctifies us, makes us more holy, makes us like Jesus, is through suffering, is through hardships. So that American version of, of the gospel just doesn't match the Bible. Doesn't match the Bible. Being a true follower of Jesus requires us to practice steadfast patience, which means God shaping us and molding us in any way He wants, including through hardships. Now that can be challenging for us to hear, but James being an excellent pastor that he is, wants to work that truth into your heart and into your life by using some examples and illustrations to explain what that looks like. And one of the best ways for us to understand what patience is, is to see what it's not, to see what it's not. And so he calls us to practice holy patience by, by pointing out some ways that are unholy, 
So how do we practice holy patience? It's by not grumbling. Verse 9, he says, uh, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. When your patience is tested, one of the clearest ways you can tell that you're not being patient is the way you snap at your neighbor, right? When you grumble, when you're, when you're frustrated at the people around you, it means that you're wearing down. You're wearing down. Over and over again, we see James has warned us in this letter about how we use our tongues. And so here it is again, when our patience wears thin, James warns us to not take our frustrations out on our neighbor. How many times have we lost our patience? I know I do this. I take my frustration out. I lose patience with my kids. And I look back, I'm like, they're, they're just being kids. They're not doing anything worse than normal, just being kids. I just have lost patience because of something else going on in my mind and my heart. Read another command about how we use our words in verse 12. He says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth <clears throat> or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so you may not fall under condemnation. This is true any, under any circumstance, but especially when our patience is tested. If we find ourselves, because things are hard and maybe we haven't said things that are completely true, we find ourselves saying, saying no, I swear this time I mean it. That means that the last time you said it, you didn't really mean it. So he says, just, just speak the truth. You don't need to give some kind of oath or, or swear or whatever else. Just use true words. And when things are tight, when things are hard, when it's going to cost you something, is when we're tempted to not speak the truth. And so the next time, we've got to up the ante by saying we swear or something else that we do to it. When we lose our patience, we're not honoring God. We're not practicing holiness. We're not being Christ-like. God can bring about that fruit. It has to be His work, His Spirit working in us to bring the fruit of patience. We read in Colossians 1.11 of a prayer for the church to be strengthened with all power. So listen, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. John Piper quoted a comment on that verse saying, Impatient people are weak and therefore dependent on external supports, like schedules that go just right and circumstances that support their fragile hearts. Their outbursts of oaths and threats and harsh criticism of the culprits who cross their plans do not sound weak, but the noise is all camouflage of weakness. Patience demands inner strength, and for the Christian, this strength comes from God. Wow. Practice holy patience, a patience that is God-honoring, a patience that uses our words in a way that shows God has strengthened our hearts, established our hearts, bared us up underneath the trials and the weight of the world, and we're willing to be strong and be patient in what God has for us. Pastor James here in this letter is helping, helps us by giving us some good examples of what that looks like, and that's good wisdom for us. So learn patience from good examples. Learn patience from good examples. The first he gives is farmers. Verse 7 says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Learn patience from good examples. Between uh, farmers were dependent at the time on, on two main seasons of rain in that part of the world. And so between those seasons of rain, the, the farmer has to wait you know what a farmer can do to make the seed grow? You know, again, no irrigation, just, you know, ancient times. You know what he can do? Nothing. Nothing. Just 
wait. He can't make that seed grow. And it is a healthy reminder to us that there are so many, many of the, the most important things to us in life we can't make happen. We can't change hearts. We can't change, we might be able to change somebody's mind, but we can't change their heart. We can't bring somebody to salvation. We can proclaim the gospel, but God has to work in their life. We can't bring healing. We can't change the things that matter most. We can do certain things, and God calls us to use our gifts and abilities and wisdom and all those things, but we are still dependent on God as much as the farmer is dependent upon God to send the early and late rains and make the flowers grow. The farmer knew that, and we'd be wise to learn it, learn from good examples, recognize our limits, and be patient. Again, in verse 10, he gives another example. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So here he directly connects suffering and patience. And he says, take any prophet, basically, from the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. And what did they do? As they proclaimed what God had told them to say. God spoke to Jeremiah. Jeremiah just relayed the message. Hey, I'm just telling you what God told me to tell you. And what they do? They throw him into a cistern and expect him just to die. And if it weren't for a compassionate group of people who came and dug him out, he would just died in an empty cistern. God's people over and over again are persecuted for proclaiming his word. Take Daniel, who just prayed. He just prayed. Throw him in the lion's den. Take Elijah, who had to face 400 false prophets on his own. Stephen in Acts chapter 7, right before he is stoned for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, he tells his persecutors, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Suffering is just normal for people who live out their faith, who faith goes to work, who, who proclaim with their mouths the name of the Lord. These people were just doing what was right, speaking in the name of the Lord, and it required steadfast patience, being willing to stand firm on God's truth, even when things were hard. The third example he gives is of Job. Verse 11, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Perhaps no greater example of suffering in the Bible than Job, who lost almost everything. He lost his, all, of his, all of his animals, all of his wealth, eventually lost all ten of his children. And even after that, he had the faith to say, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What faith, what patience, what steadfastness. Now, if you go reading on this, some people, some commentators will say, Wait, 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 I, I read all of Job's story. I don't know why jo James would use Job's example as an example of patience and steadfastness. Because James was not just totally, I mean, uh, Job was not totally even keel all the way through the book. He had some major wrestlings with God. He had some major times where he was questioning what was happening. But I think this is exactly why James quotes him. Because James is not, the Bible doesn't expect some kind of non-emotional stoicism as we go through our hardships. It is okay. Job's our example. David's our example. Over and over again, it is okay to come to God with some questions. What Job models for us, what David models for us, and so many other people, is that they never renounce God. They keep coming back to God. Yes, bring your questions to God. Keep coming to God. Keep bringing them. The problem is when you start taking your questions elsewhere and no longer ask God your questions. Keep coming to God with your questions. He can handle it. He can handle your questions. But never renounce Him. What's supernatural about Job is that through the hardships, he continues coming back to God. Job 19 he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and at the last He will stand upon the earth. After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He said, even if this is all taken away, body, world, everything, I'll see God. And that is better than anything else. Like Job did, we pray that we too will be able to hold on to our faith, on to our hope, steadfastly, patiently, even in suffering. Those are the examples Job, uh, James gives, like the prophets and Job and the farmers. But I, I imagine you've got some people in your life that you can look around and say, I've seen the suffering they've been through. I've seen the hardships they've been through, and they never renounce God. This is a good wisdom for us to look around for, for our, the examples around us. Who in your life is living out steadfast faith, even though they've been through tremendous trials? Learn from them. Learn from the way they stayed with God. Recognize God's grace through them and see God's examples of patience. Like any faithful preacher should do, James connects all this patience, all his talk about steadfastness, back to the very nature of God Himself. So that's our true motivation. Hear this. I want you to hear this today. Let God's promises and character motivate your patience. Let God's promises and His character motivate your patience. Twice in these verses, uh, he tells us about Jesus coming back. Verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Again in verse 8, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then a related promise is that when He comes back, how is He coming back? He's coming back as judge. Verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is coming back, and He's coming back as judge, which serves as a, a two-way reminder, does it not? In one sense, we're supposed to fear this. We're supposed to be convicted. When you are grumbling in your own house against your spouse, God is not some faraway place oblivious to what's happening. <clears throat> he is a judge standing at the door. He listens to everything you say. He's heard it all. You can't hide from God. All of our sins are laid bare before Him. God coming back should convict us. And at the same time, it should call us, give us tremendous comfort. If you have been wronged in life in any way, if you have been hurt, if you have been abused, if you have experienced injustice, it is good news that God is coming back to reign on this earth and make everything right once more. All your grief, all your sorrow, all the hard things that have happened, God will bring justice and peace in His timing. It is good news that God is coming back. Many people have pointed out that the Western world that's very comfortable and air-conditioned and indoor plumbing and all the things we have that make life nice and comfort and cozy, we are the generation, we're the world that is least excited about Christ coming back because we got it okay. We're doing okay, so we're not all that excited about Christ coming back. But for most of human history and most of the places around the world today, as most people continue to suffer, we recognize the goodness of a God who comes back and makes everything right again. And we're longing. The Bible is just soaking with anticipating Christ coming back and being in His presence once more. The word used here for Christ coming back is about His presence. A suffering people longs for the presence of Christ the King, the way that Christ would come and He'd reign and rule on this earth. So James has in mind in verse 11 when he talks about the purposes of God. It's the word telos, the end goal, that all that God intends to accomplish, all the way He intends to bring it all together, He's bringing it in accordance to His will. Our patience is rooted in trusting that God works it all out. 
his, his providence, his, his right thinking, he, he, his right working of the ordering of the world, he is at work. If we really believe God is good, God is just, he is in control, and he's coming back and going to make all things right, then we can be patient when things aren't right right now. When things are hard now, we can trust that he is in control. Benjamin Warfield was a, a, a famous theologian. Uh, he taught at Princeton, Theolo- uh, Princeton Seminary for 34 years until he died in 1921. Uh, and back at the beginning, toward the beginning of his life, when he was 25 years old, at the year 1876, he married a woman named Annie. And they took a honeymoon to Germany. And on their honeymoon, his wife was struck by lightning and paralyzed for the rest of her life. And Warfield continued to care for her for 39 years, walking with her through life. Warfield laid her to rest after 39 years of marriage in 1915, and there was no Job-like restoration where everything just worked out, you know, in this world, and then he got, got it all back, you know. It didn't happen for him. It will one day. Christ will come back. It'll be all made right. But it didn't in his life. And because of, because of Annie, his wife's extraordinary names, Warfield almost never left home for more than about two hours at a time, for 39 years. When Warfield came, so that, that's the man who I'm talking about, he came to write down his thoughts on Romans 8.28. So as a reminder, Romans 8.28 says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So when Warfield, a man who just cared for his wife for 39 years, he, this is what he said, The fundamental thought is the universal government of God, providence, all that comes to you is under His controlling hand. The secondary thought is favor of God for those who love Him. If God governs all, then nothing but good can befall those whom he, to those who, to whom He would do good. He will so govern all things that we shall reap only good from all that befalls us. A man who cared for his paralyzed wife for 39 years said, We reap only good. From all that befalls, all that happens to us. That is incredible trust in the goodness, in the providence, the kindness of God. If you believe that, you can be patient, right? You can wait. You can be steadfast. And James tells us that is the very nature of God Himself. Verse 11, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We can hear an echo of James uh, of Exodus 34, 6 there. The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The word that Moses didn't use there or the God himself didn't use there, but meant, is, is saying to us, is that God is patient, right? Somebody who's slow to anger as God is, is patient with people. <laughs> oh man, we lose our patience. Well, the first thing to go is our anger. God is slow to anger. He is merciful though we deserve wrath. He is gracious, though we deserve judgment. He is faithful, though we are faithless. We have conti- he's continued with a love that perseveres, that's steadfast, though we continue to waver from Him. There have been countless times where God would have been completely just to just wipe out all of humanity and just end it all. And yet He has been patient with us time and time again. After thousands of years of humanity's sin, He sent His own Son to bear the weight and the sin of all the world, to pay for our sins. And now all those who have heard the good news have become His children. We have seen the way that grace 
that patience has paid off so that we could be with Him. And he can, even though we continue to sin, He gives more grace. The ultimate source of our patience is none other than the patience of God Himself. When you see God's patience with you, it motivates us to patience with our neighbor and patience with God. Practice patience. It does take practice. And the patience comes through steadfastness, especially when you're facing trials.